Hello, everybody. My name is Bill Keever, and I want to welcome you to our podcast, Practical Wisdom from the Word of God. I believe the Bible is a book that God gave to us that's full of insights, wisdom, promises, and many other things that help us live daily life. So join me for the next few minutes as we look into the Word of God to find that practical wisdom we need today. Well, praise God. Welcome again to Practical Wisdom from the Word of God. My name is Bill Kiefer, and I want to thank you for joining us today. Well, we have been talking about something this year that I think God wants to work in us, and that is the ability to win every day. Now, again, let me just quickly say that doesn't mean we get everything we want every day. It doesn't mean that every day goes wonderfully. It doesn't mean we never have bad days. But it does mean that we can get to the end of the day knowing that God is in control, knowing that God is at work behind the scenes doing things to to meet the needs of our life, and that we will be able to overcome eventually. It may not be today specifically. It may not even be tomorrow, but God is at work, and we can we can end the day in peace. We can end the day with the joy of the Lord. We can end the day with faith, and there are a lot of things we've talked about that will help us with that, but right now, we're dealing with something that I think is a major force that is available to every believer, and that is the force of favor. Now, we have favor with God by virtue of the grace of God that came upon us in salvation. Grace means favor, but it's also translated uh, as this word favor. And if you remember the definition we've talked about, it means preferential treatment. It means people being uh, kindly disposed to uh, another person. Uh, the, the Hebrew actually carried the idea of bowing to an inferior. And again, we're not saying anybody's bowing to us. But when God causes people, when God moves upon people, and they show us favorable treatment, uh, they show us preferential treatment, then we understand that God is at work in this. It's not just because of who we are, it's because of who He is. So we began talking about this in relation to Israel being set free from Egypt. And in uh, in Exodus chapter 3, we read these words in verse 20. God says, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I'm thinking, amen, that's great. And yet God has some more to say in verse 21. And I will give this people favor. I will, God will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go out empty-handed. How are they going to get stuff to go out with? He says, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. And so that is where God says, I'm not only going to take you out of Egypt, but you're not coming out empty-handed, and the way I'm going to cause you to plunder or take goods from the one you defeat is by giving you favor. And as the more I, I've thought about that and the fact that these women, these, these Egyptian women, had no reason to favor or think kindly of or treat friendly these, uh, these Israeli or Israelite slaves— 
and yet they did it. Why? Because God moved upon them. Then we also talked about the early church, and it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, so they continued daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So this idea of favor, now in the New Testament, grace is favor. But when it's translated as favor, it's not talking about the same thing. It's talking about how God gave them favor throughout the community, not with the leaders of the community, not with the Romans, not with the Jewish council, but with people. And those people were kindly disposed towards them and received their message and uh, and and got saved and the church added to the num to the number uh, daily people who were being saved. Isn't that what we'd like to see right now? I believe we need both things. I believe we need God to show us favor so that uh, that we can have the resources to preach the gospel so that our needs can be met. God said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things that you need will be added to you. How? Well, one way is by God giving us favor in the marketplace, God giving us favor in our jobs, God giving us favor where education is concerned, God causing people to give us preferential treatment, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And also, I think we need this favor with people out there, and we need to believe for these things so that they'll receive the message. Most of us don't believe that anybody's going to respond when we witness. That's why they don't. We need to begin to believe that what happened in the early church is going to happen when we go out, and that is God is going to give us favor with those to whom we preach the gospel, and they're going to receive the message. Now, as I was praying about this, uh, God began to deal with me, and I asked myself, uh, who is in, in the Bible, who in the Bible, other than the Israelites and other than the, the church, the first church, had favor? And I settled on somebody, she's a famous character from the Bible, but I don't think many of us really know her story. And that person is Ruth. Now, I want to read a scripture in verse 10, Ruth chapter uh, 2, verse 10. It says this, and she's speaking to a man by the name of Boaz. And she says she fell on her face and bowed down to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? This man, Boaz, gave Ruth favor. What we find out about Ruth as we study her is that her whole life really is a product of the favor of God through this man, Boaz, but there was much more to it than that. In order for us to understand how this story goes or what's so important about this story, we need to find out a little bit more about it. We need to kind of kind of uh, get uh, a synopsis of Ruth's life up to this point and even beyond, and then we're going to take time to really look at it in detail, because here's what I believe we need to learn from this. That is that there were characteristics in Ruth's life that caused her to receive favor or enabled God to move upon Boaz and ultimately others and cause her to have this kind of favor. What were those characteristics? Can we cultivate them? 
And if we do, will we see the same kind of favor that Ruth did? I believe we will. I believe we can. So let's talk a little bit about who Ruth is. Ruth is a woman uh, that marries an Israelite man. Uh, However, she's not an Israelite. She's from the country of Moab. This man, Elimelech, and his wife, Naomi, moved to Moab uh, in order to have a, a better life. There was a famine, and so they came to Moab. And uh, they had two sons, and while they were there, the two sons found wives. Normal course of life, that's what happens. And then things began to go really bad. The husband, Elimelech, dies while they're in Moab. Well, that's a bad thing, but as long as Naomi still has two uh, sons to take care of her, she's going to be all right, and the, the, the wives are going to be all right. But then these two boys, both of them die. I don't know what they died of. I don't know what went on, but I can tell you that is a bad development for these three women. You see, in that day, these three women would have had no way to support themselves. It's not like today where they could go get a job in Walmart or be a secretary or get some education and go into nursing or whatever. They would have been completely without any ability to live in that land. And so Naomi decides that the best thing for her to do is to go back to Israel, where at least she has some relatives and she actually has a little bit of land. And so um, she goes and she says to her widowed daughters-in-law, listen, I'm going back to Israel, but I want to encourage the both of you. You need to just go back to your homes and find other husbands because I'm too old. I'm not going to produce any more sons. And even if I did, by the time they were old enough for you to marry them, you'd be far too old to have any children or anything like that. So she says, you need to go back. But both of these daughters-in-law, they say to her, we don't want to leave you. We want to stay with you. But Naomi is insistent. She says, I have nothing for you. I don't know what's going to happen to me when I go back to Israel, let alone you. You need to go home. So one of them, named Orpah, does do just that. And, you know, no reason to look down on her. It was the logical thing to do. It was the wise thing to do. And so she goes back. But now the other daughter-in-law, whose name, again, was Ruth, says to her mother-in-law, look, I'm not going. I don't care what you say. I am not leaving you. And she makes this wonderful statement. I'm going to read it to you because it's one of the most beautiful statements of love and not romantic love, but, but Christian love, if you will, in the Bible. She says to Naomi, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. Forever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. This is actually a scripture that's sometimes quoted at weddings. It is a scripture that's that's 
powerful in relation to a husband and wife. Yet this has nothing to do with that. This is not some kind of perverted relationship that her and Naomi have. This is just something about Ruth and something about Naomi that Naomi says, I don't, I, I think you really need to go home. But Ruth says, I'm not leaving you. And this beautiful statement uh, says something about both of these women. And we're going to talk a lot about Ruth, but I want to just mention Naomi here. What about Naomi? What was it in Naomi's life and character that caused both of these young ladies? Now, one did decide to go home, but what caused both of them, in particular Ruth, to so love her that she was not willing even though it was in her best interest, I want to make that clear as far as, as Ruth knows, as far as Naomi knows, there's nothing for Ruth in Israel. She doesn't know what's going to happen. The only reason she's going to Israel is because of how highly she thought of, of Naomi. I think there's something in that. I think there was something being worked in Ruth by Naomi's character. I want to just go a little bit of, on a rabbit trail here and say to you that when your character is the way it needs to be in, in terms of godliness, in terms of integrity and honesty, it can and will influence others. As we pastored for uh, over 30 years, so many people came to my wife and I and talked to us about the example that our marriage was to them, that our family was to them, and it helped them develop their lives and their marriages and their families. What we are, when we are particularly, and either way it works, whether we're good or whether we're bad, whether we do right or whether we do wrong, but as Christians, when we live godly lives, when we have that good character, that good testimony, it will affect and affect others to live accordingly. And I think that's what's happening here with Naomi. Naomi is a very interesting person and a lot happens. I'm just going to give you a synopsis of, of, of her life and what happens after they get back to Israel. And then we're going to take it apart to see why it happened. But Ruth is a tremendous character in the Bible. But I think we have to also understand Naomi must have been the same way. So as we look at the story of Ruth, they go back to uh to Israel. Now there's another thing I want to point out before we go on and that's the fact that this story takes place in the time of the judges just after Joshua dies and they're in that period between uh, uh, Joshua leading them and they don't have a king and God is raising up leaders. And that was a period uh, before, long before David. Uh, Saul was the first king, David was the second king. And yet in this story, in this book of Ruth, we have the lineage of David because she becomes part of it. Not only that, she becomes part of the lineage of Jesus as well. Uh, but so we understand that this story was written long after it occurred. That means that there was something so powerful about this story that it lasted a long time. And once it was in the Bible, it's lasted to today. So this woman, Ruth, had such a character, had such a life that it has influenced people from before David until now. All right. So what happened? They go back to uh, to Israel and Ruth and Naomi are living somewhere together, and uh, they did have she did have some property, so there was somewhere where they were staying. But they had no resources; they had nothing that they could do in order to make money to live. But there was uh, there was a tradition in Israel. It was really a law. It said that when a farmer gleans or harvests his field, 
that he is not to harvest everything. Anytime you harvest, there's going to be grain left behind. There's going to be some that didn't get picked or some that got dropped. And the the Israelite farmer was to leave that in the field for the poor so that the poor could come after him and they could pick this up and it wouldn't be stealing. It was theirs by Israelite law. And whatever they could get, uh, they could then take and sell or use whatever they needed to do. So uh, Naomi, or uh, Ruth rather, says to Naomi, listen, I'm a young woman. I can do this. I'm going to go find a field and I'm going to follow them around and see if I can't get enough grain for us to live on for a while. And so she does that. She goes to this particular field. I love how God works in our lives when we are walking in his will, in his ways, and listening to his voice. He just sort of arranges things. And in this case, she went to the field of this man named Boaz. Now, what she did not know is that Boaz was part of Naomi's family. He was a relative of Elimelech. And so uh, she went, and as she begins to move through the field, she's picking up the grain, and she's you know doing what she needs to do. And uh, Boaz notices her, and he asks somebody, who, who is that? And they tell him, well, that's the Moabitess woman that came back with Naomi, and uh, she's here now, uh, and, and she's doing, you know, what poor people do. And so Boaz looks at her, and he's heard of her. He's heard about her. We're going to look at this later. And he says to them, you leave her alone. Listen, uh, men being men... Uh, a young unattached woman out in the field could be a problem. It could cause problems. She could have a problem, but the boss says, you leave her alone. You let her get as much as she wants. Matter of fact, make sure, drop a little bit, make sure she has plenty uh, to take home with her. And so then he speaks with Ruth and he says to her, don't go any to any other fields. You stay right here with us. You come back here tomorrow. We'll take care of you. We'll make sure that you have enough. Now, now Ruth still doesn't know who he is. What she does know is, as we read earlier, that he has had favor with her. And so she goes home to Naomi and she says to Naomi, listen, um, I've got all this grain. It really worked out well. And Naomi looks at her and says, who, who had that kind of favor on you and why? And so she says to her, well, this, this man by the name of Boaz. And Naomi knows exactly what God is doing. And she says, listen, God's hand is in this because what you don't know is that Boaz is a near relative to my husband and therefore to you. And there's something in, in Israelite law that we would think of as kind of strange today, but in those days, again, women had to be taken care of, and it was very important for there to be a line for every man to, to have his name continue. And so there was a custom. It was the custom of the kinsman redeemer. And the kinsman redeemer would be someone who would then marry this widow and the first child born would be considered part of uh, the, the dead husband's line, therefore Elimelech's line and Naomi's line. See, Elimelech had died uh, with no grandchildren, so there was no one to carry out his line, not, not to mention his son's line. And so this man, Boaz, was a near relative. And so that meant 
that it was his obligation to marry Naomi, um, excuse me, marry Ruth, and raise up children for Elimelech and his son, and then also take care of her. And certainly if he's taking care of Ruth, he's going to be taking care of Naomi. Here's the thing about it, though. Boaz was not number one in that line. If there were no brothers, then other relatives uh, would fulfill this obligation. But there was someone who was closer than Boaz. Boaz was number two. So here's what I want you to see. There was no obligation for Boaz to do anything. He could have said, sorry, uh, but, um, you know, there's this other guy. You're going to have to go talk to him. But he didn't say that. And what I want us to see in that is that favor is not a matter of obligation. Favor is not done to us because it's owed to us. Favor is something that comes upon us that we are not owed or often that we do not deserve. And so this is the position Boaz is in. Now, the story gets a little bit more interesting because Naomi is going to sweeten the pot a little bit, or at least move things along a little bit. And she says to uh, to Ruth, listen, tonight they're going to be threshing. And they would stay there all night to make sure nobody took the, the grain and things. And so uh, I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and bathe. I want you to anoint yourself, put some nice perfume on. Uh, I want you to put on some really nice clothes, and I want you to go back there. And after everything's done and Boaz lays down to sleep, I want you to go and uncover his feet and lay at his feet. Now, this was something a servant would do, and it was projecting certain things to the man that this young female servant would go and lay at his feet. And I'll let that, uh, I'll let you figure out what that might be. But uh, time goes on. And uh, Naomi had said to Ruth, he'll tell you what you're supposed to do. And uh, so they, he falls asleep. By the time she lays down at his feet, he's sound asleep. And around midnight, the Bible says he wakes up and different translations and different uh, commentaries talk about the fact that when, when uh, Boaz woke up, uh, he says, who is that? And you, at first, when I read that, I thought, well, he knew who she was. Well, he woke up at midnight and there's some woman laying at his feet and, and different translations and commentaries point to the fact that he was terrified. He didn't know who this was. And he says, who, who's, who's laying at my feet? And Ruth says, it's me. And she says to him, please cover me with the skirt of your garment. Uh, the, the Hebrew, maybe a more direct translation might be, please take me under your wings. But here's what it meant. I know that you are a near kinsman to my mother-in-law. Would you please fulfill the obligation of taking care of us, taking care of me, marrying me, producing an heir through me, and ultimately other heirs as well? And he says to her, I'll do it. But understand, I got to go talk to this other guy that's closer than you. Again, he could have just said, well, there's somebody else. You go talk to them. And, you know, if he won't do it, well, maybe I'll, I'll do it. But instead, he says to her, I'm going to do this. But I've got to go talk to this other one first. And when he talks to him, the guy says, I, I can't take care of her anyway, so she's all yours. And long story short, Boaz comes 
marries this woman, Ruth. They produce a child. Naomi is thrilled. She's ecstatic because now she has an heir. Her barrenness up to this point, other than those two boys, she wasn't barren. She'd had the two boys, but they were gone. So now she has an heir. Elimelech has an heir. Naomi has an heir. The sons have an heir. Everything is wonderful. And from that time on, Boaz takes care of these two women that had no possible way to survive. And not only do they survive because Boaz was well off, they were taken good care of for the rest of their lives. And this story, as we read about the fact that this Moabite woman ends up, I think it's the great, great grandmother of David somewhere in that line. And then she's also mentioned in the uh, lineage of Jesus himself. So something so powerful had happened in her life and it was all the product of God giving her favor when she needed it with whom she needed it. I believe that's what God wants to do for us. And so as we look at this woman, Ruth, what we want to find out is what characteristics did she have that produced this favor? Now, God gives favor where he wants, but if we are not living right, I mean, if we're living in sin, don't expect favor, God to work favor in our lives. If we're not living according to his ways and principles, don't expect God to work favor with other people in our lives. If we are living right before him, then we can expect that when we need it, with whom we need it, where we need it, we can see this kind of favor that was in Ruth's life. So I want to take some time for myself and for you to find out what was it about Ruth? What did she do? What were characteristics that she had cultivated that enabled her to see this kind of favor that changed her life entirely? You know, I really believe that if we'll come to the place where we can believe for this, where we can believe that it's possible, where we begin to expect it by faith, knowing that it's not coming from the person. Many times we'll look at a person and we need favor with that bank manager. Or we need favor with our boss. or we need favor in school. And we think they don't even like me. Listen, the Egyptian women had no reason to like the Israelite women. The people in the book of Acts really had no reason to like these outcasts, uh, proponents of a, a sect that had been rejected by their own people and by the Romans. And Boaz had no reason to give favor to Ruth, but he did. Why? In all of these cases, because God produced it. What can I do to put myself in a position where that favor is available to me. That's what we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks. Don't miss it. I think it's going to be important for you. There are some of you out there that right now you need this favor. I feel it in my spirit. There are people listening to me and you need these kind of things. Favor with a boss, favor financially, favor in family, favor in school, whatever it may be. I'm believing with you that God is going to do something, but let's find out how we can cultivate a life that that favor will flow to us. Hallelujah. Well, God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord, and we'll talk to you again soon. This podcast is an outreach of Living Word International, a division of Intercession Ministries. If you'd like to contact us, please email livingwordintgreen at gmail.com. That's livingwordintgreen at gmail.com. Have a great day.